Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can the wisdom of ancient peoples save today's inner city youth? If so, can this be carried to the rest of society? Or is it all just a new age pipe dream? Hey there, and welcome to the uh, 520th edition of Behind the Paranormal uh, with Paul and Ben Eno. I couldn't read numbers for a second. I'm Ben, and those very urban questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening we welcome a guest who not only talks about transforming the world, he's actually doing it. One young life at a time. And we welcome calls this evening, and the numbers are 401-766-1240, and from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240. They're okay, Ben. The poor lad has a cold. Yeah, well, you know. Tony Loray is the founder and CEO of, uh, and I should say founder and CEO of Youth Mentoring Connection, where he and his staff work with young people in South Central Los Angeles. Tony Loray is considered a visionary leader and peacemaker, pioneering mentoring practices that transform the lives of even the most at-risk youth. So what does this have to do with, all the, with the paranormal? You'd think I had a cold away. I'm stumbling, too. Among <laughs> Tony's key tools for this work are ancient wisdom and the healing traditions of indigenous peoples. And he certainly gets results. Young people involved with Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, which has a considerably brighter forecast than you just heard here in New England, uh, they have a 96% high school graduation rate in a community where the average is only 30%, I believe, and 75 to 100% of YMC youth go to college. Tony's work even resulted in the dis- dissolution of three gangs before they could really get off the ground. So, Tony Loray, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks for having me, Paul. Oh, that's great. Uh, anybody you might remember, Tony called in a few weeks ago to talk about Youth Mentoring Connection, which is one of the charities Ben and I have adopted. Oh, it was definitely longer than that. All right, well, I have no sense of time. I only think in terms of geological time. But well, anyway, time doesn't exist. So, Well, that's true. <laughs> so let's get right down to brass tacks. Tony, one of the ways you reach these youth is uh, a mentoring model based on the Zulu word uh, sawabona. What's yeah. that all about? Sawabona is a, a word, as you mentioned, comes from the Zulu. It translates literally to I see you. Um, in, uh, in a group context, it actually can mean we see you. Uh, and the idea is that youth today, not just the, the kids in the inner cities and some of the you know troubled environments, but all youth um, are watched a lot these days. But who's trying to see them? Hmm. Um, who's asking them? You know, what's what's in your heart? Um, what gifts were you born to bring into this world? Uh, so we come to them, and they're they're kind of used to their typical relationship with um, adults being one of. Um, command and control here's here's how i think you should behave and here's what your future should be and uh, now let's have a conversation about what i expect from you um and we you know we start out every conversation with our youth with the literal greeting salbona and um they respond yabo salbona which is um uh, which means it could mean many things but we take the meaning um to be um, I see you seeing me. Um, so it's a promise on their part to let us see them. Uh, so the idea is what's inside of you? What are the wounds that, that inform your behavior and that sit right next to the gifts that you have to bring into this world? Um, what are your dreams? Um, you know, what's beautiful inside of you? Uh, and it's a conversation they're not used to having. Um, it's, 
Um, it, we're basically saying there's a whole there's a different level of interaction available to us together than you're used to, um, and somehow it works. They believe us, and um, <laughs> well, not not right away, to be honest with you. Um, and then all kinds of things are possible that otherwise um, may not have been. So how did you find out about um, Age of Wisdom like this, and what gave you the idea to apply it to today's youth? Oh, that's a, <clears throat> a, a 10-year uh, process. Um, but uh, I, was, I was personally, I was, under the, I was under the spell of the dominant culture. I was a, a businessman, um, consultant, making pretty decent money, so on and so forth. Um, and through a series of circumstances was invited into the inner city to work with uh, marginalized uh, youth or youth from marginalized communities. Um, and um, I uh, uh, found myself learning more from them than, than them from me. Um, and once I started working with these kids, I saw that how much of a difference just paying attention to them makes um but then at some point we you know kind of bumped up against uh, a barrier like we couldn't go any further and i realized that something different had to happen um in order to really make the kind of difference i wanted to make in the world um, after volunteering i sold my business to dedicate my life to this work so it wasn't about to just like you know call it in and say okay we've we've done good i wanted things to change um and, you know, going by Einstein's um, uh, advice that you can't solve a problem at the same level of think thinking that created it. <laughs> exactly. We used that as a quote at the end of the show one time. Oh, yeah, we oh, did. Yeah. There it is. Sorry, See, I'm on the right place. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I said we, we've, ha we've got to find something different. And I started exploring, and I was going to mentoring conferences and things like that. And I kept hearing the same thing. Um, here's some cool activities to do, and here's how you background check mentors, and you know, um, all in service to the, the 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 common practices, which are good and they're helpful, but they're not transformational. And then I was invited to a week-long retreat in the woodlands of Mendocino, led by a man who was to become one of my mentors, Michael Mead, um, who's a mythologist and a storyteller and um, found what I had been looking for, um, a different way of approaching um, humans that have been wounded. Um, they, Michael teaches through the application of myth. Um, one of the stories I use with our kids I, I, I got from him, it's an 8,000-year-old story from Borneo, um, and started applying you know, some of the old, old, ancient practices of initiation and so on and so forth um, to the work in the modern world. And that's kind of how I got initiated into this way of doing things. Um, that's really amazing. It, it, it seems obvious that that would be of value, but I, I, I've never heard of anyone else but yourself who's doing this, Tony. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, there there is a group of folks doing it. I have some colleagues that I love working with that have, you know, uh, discovered um, just how remarkably effective taking some of these old practices um, and some old wisdom that, you know, indigenous people um, have, have practiced for, for, for hundreds, thousands of years and, and applying them. 
Um, one of the things that kind of convinced me to go looking for this was um, we were running our, our, our programs, okay, and um, we would do, our programs would be nine-month flights of mentoring. At the end, we'd have a big celebration at a park, and um, uh, kids would come up to us at this park and you know, or at the end of it saying, it can't end, it's too good, it's, you know, and this is, <laughs> This is teenagers associating with adults who normally they would, like, shun. Um, and now they're saying, I don't want it to end. But one day, after a few years of doing this, and I had seen the resources draining from our community, and it had become harder and harder for us to get the help for our youth that they disclose to us through the mentoring relationship that they need. You know, simple things like um, tutoring, uh, help with, you know, um, Temporary housing, um, things that you know, they, they healthcare, and such, um, and that stuff was just running away from them. Um, the arts were being pulled out of the schools, everything. And they came up to me one day at in one of these celebrations, said, "It can't end. I'm just starting to get to know my mentor, and we're just starting to get something out of this." And that was a huge message because it, it meant that it was taking longer and it was harder for us to engage them effectively. Um, and so I had, to go, I had to, to say, you know, so, something had to change. We had to look at a deeper way of doing the work to engage them um, more effectively and quicker. And that's about the time when I came across uh, Michael Mead and some other you know, folks. Orland Bishop is another guy who's been very instrumental in helping me understand how to do this. Um, and came across the concept of initiation which is, you know, one form of initiation is rites of passage. And indigenous people have been doing it for, you know, since, since the, as far back as, as we can record. Um, and what I had discovered, what, what the real epiphany was, I saw that the process of being initiated into a street gang in the cities of Los Angeles was identical to the process of being initiated into an indigenous tribe. Wow. So it's a human thing. Yes. And it's archetypal. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, you know, Joseph Campbell, you know, recorded, you know, how cultures who could never have had contact with each other um, were practicing, telling some of the same stories, just that the names of the characters changed, and practicing some of the same initiatory rites. Um, but, you know, could never have learned from each other. So this, it's something that lives in us. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, so, for example, to be, to be considered a man in the, in the Maasai tradition in Africa, um, one of the old initiation rites for them was they take all the initiation. These are the boys now. Uh, female initiation is different, but it's still the concepts are, are similar. But they would take the boys in a group off to the hidden spot, the secret spot, and um, give them their initiatory challenge, which uh, the, the most common one way back when was they had to kill a lion and bring it back. Uh, now, there's training involved in some of this stuff, but uh, at any rate, uh, when, they, when they succeeded at the challenge, they would come back and um, <clears throat> they would be given their adult name. Um, they'd be taught the secret language of the adults. They'd be scarred or marked in a way that people could see at a glance that they they have been initiated um 
And they would also have access to the initiated females, so they could start courting. Um, and at the end of this whole process, uh, the whole village would come together and have a huge celebration and welcome the new warrior or the new man. Um, you want to be in a street gang in Los Angeles? Or pretty much any city. Um, they, they often call it jumping in, You got, but that's their initiation. They take you to the secret spot. You either get your initiatory challenge, which could be to do a mission, which might include killing or something like that. The most common one is the, the gang beats on you for a certain period of time, and if you can take that and survive that, you've passed the challenge. Then you get your gang name. You're taught the secret language of the gang. You're allowed to throw the gang signs with um, impunity. Um, you can wear the gang tattoos, so the scarification is there. Um, and you have access to the gang females. And finally, all of the homies get together and get drunk and loaded and, you know, welcome the new homie. So our boys started doing for each other what we had stopped doing or what we had forgotten um, in modernity, uh, and, but without, without the guidance of, of ancient wisdom, without the guidance of elders. Um, so... That's how we kind of started embarked on our processes that we use now um, by going if that's if that's archetypal and if they're doing it for themselves anyway, then what if we did it but guided it with some wisdom and guided it with some some practices that were less um, damaging and wouldn't take the turn toward the violence that a gang initiation took absolutely fascinating you know it's funny. If you look all through society, um, you can see rituals of that kind. We, we are yeah. ritual beings. I belong to a couple of veterans organizations. <laughs> you, still, you know, the military has all, you know, albeit uh, hopefully you know, positive kind of things. Like, but, but every level of society has similar initiation rights and uh, rites of passage, things of this kind. And maybe when that structure is missing. Maybe there's a problem. Anyway, Ben had a question. Indeed. So how do pe young people react when you first come in contact with them with these ideas? Oh, um, I, in all honesty, they're um, extremely receptive. Um, in many ways, you have to know how to, to, to um, interpret their language, though. Uh, one of the other models that we use is, is um, the, the mythic model or the hero's journey that um, Joseph Campbell developed, which, if you take any, any epic story, follows this pattern. Um, but one of the first um, uh, elements in the model is the refusal of the call. So we train our mentors and our staff that the young person is going to refuse to go on this journey with us because it's part of the process. But they vote with their feet. As they're refusing, they're showing up. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing. Um, and once they've experienced it, so we get them to go, oh, this kind of weird stuff, blah, blah, blah. But then after all of the protestations, they end up showing up. Um, then when they experience it, they want more. And, um, you know, Paul, you mentioned ritual. Uh, kids crave ritual. Youth, teenagers crave ritual. Yeah, and it's, structure. And Yes. And ritual gives a structure to the 
um, spiritual and psychic processes that are happening anyway. Um, so in in ritual, things start to make sense that otherwise would just seem weird or unexplainable. Mm-hmm. Um, the initiations, for example, we're being initiated all the time. Um, young people, when, whenever you're subjected to a trauma, it's an initiation, and and the mm, the violent traumas are, you know, uh, I think uh, Michael Mead calls them underworld initiations, uh, and so you can either suffer that and go, the world doesn't make any sense. I'm going through all this pain. Or you can have a, uh, maybe not even a, a conscious understanding, but a body understanding of initiation because you went through an initiatory ritual and you understand that this is happening to initiate me into the next level of my growth. So um, we, we take them up to the mountains uh, and do a four-day initiation retreat. Um, actually, we stopped calling it retreat because we're, they're not retreating. <laughs> we're advancing forward into the real battle of their life. That was an old uh, motto we had in the seminary. May your retreat be a real advance. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so they will we'll, we'll, we'll go through a process of, of breaking it down. We go through the, you know, um, the, the process that I just mentioned that, that the Maasai or the gangs go through. Um, but it's orchestrated and structured, as you mentioned, by the men who are leading the retreat and mentoring the, the boys or young men through it. Um, and it always includes a huge um, commitment that is, you know, the initiatory challenge that lets them know that they're capable of going through something and coming out on the other side and knowing that something better is available for them. Mm. So last time we went up, for example... We did a uh, midnight plunge, essentially. Uh, one at a time, the young men uh, would dive into a river that was below 50 degrees, and the air was about 50. Is that in the Sierras? Um, it's in the Big Bear, the mountains of Big Bear. And then it's cold. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, you know, and not what you guys are experiencing now there, but especially <laughs> for Southern California boys, 50 degrees in 48-degree water is, uh, and then they have to walk like 500 yards back uh wet you know (laughs) back to the to the lodge to to find the fire and the welcoming back from their comrades who have gone through the same initiation um so then when something happens to you later on on the streets or you know in life or with your parents or you know whatever um your body has a memory of okay i actually choose these things, and they make me stronger. They make me better. Um, and I know that's a simplistic description of it, but um, it tends to work. And, mm. and you know, back to your original point, um, the ritualization of the process gives it significance and soul and meaning to our young men. Interesting. You know, when you were talking about, uh, Tony, the, uh, the watch versus see, that really rang... Uh, true with us because uh, first of all the one of the, the dynamic of this show is father son you know adult and mm-hmm. a young well now young man he started when he was 16 you know when back in the days of yore when we first began but the most popular show 
in our second, well, it was our first year at this station, but it was the second year on the air, was um, one we did on teen suicide. No, it was, our, it was our second year on the air here. Okay, well, whatever. I was, I was a senior in high school. Okay. Well, anyway, it was, it was the most popular show we'd done up to that time, and uh, the context of it was we were uh, rather disconcerted to be getting a lot of emails from young people saying, and, you know, and you have to understand our approach to the paranormal. Our, our particular view is somewhat different than most. Uh, we believe in the um, um, quantum physics notion of the multiple worlds idea, that you get many different realities mm. all forming one great harmony, and uh, there is no past, there is no future, there really isn't any death, because it's all one big us, so to speak, the unity. I think you'd relate to that if you, if you read my oh. last book. But in any case, the idea was uh, these teenagers who, who have a very sort of island-like individualism that you have in the Western mind were saying, well, just can't I just commit suicide and pop up somewhere that's better? And that, that's not how it works. So we decided to address that. Hmm. And I got into... We, we got into the whole idea of parents, you know, listening and seeing their children rather than just watching and, uh, you know, not hearing. And uh, the reactions we got were amazing. And this is a Saturday morning, lousiest slot in, the, in radio. Now, who's listening <laughs> to the radio on Saturday morning? But people were in their cars and stuff. And they, one woman said that she started to cry. She got home. Her daughter had the radio on. She was she was crying. They kind of hugged each other. They hadn't spoken. No, well, they'd spoken, but they didn't like each other very much or didn't understand each other. And 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 so that was the sort of thing we got. And we said, "Wow, you really hit a nerve here." And I think you are really hitting the same nerve from your own angle. And that's this applies not just to adults and children, but parents and their young people in particular. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a there's a marvelous story about um, Jane Goodall. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, her, her one of her close associates was on a few weeks ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh. Well, th- there's, a, there's a story about her when she was four years old or five years old. She was she was raised on a farm, and um, she had this burning curiosity at that young of an age. And and one of the things she was curious about was was how these big old eggs came out of those little chickens. And the chickens would lay their eggs in the, in, in the barn, apparently. And so she, she would see them going to the barn, and she'd run in to watch them lay their eggs, and then they wouldn't do it. They would scatter. <laughs> so yeah. she figured out that she needed to get in there before them. So this is all, this is like informing her work, you know, yeah. 30 years later, right? Um, so she snuck into the barn and hid and waited for the chickens to come in and lay their eggs. And... Lo and behold, it worked. She was hiding, and they didn't catch wind of her or whatever, and she saw the eggs laid, and she got really excited, and she ran out of the barn, and she couldn't wait to tell her mom. Well, unbeknownst to her, she was in there for like five hours, and the family was freaking out because their little four- or five-year-old was missing. (laughs) And now, I don't know about you, but if that were me, I would have gotten a nice, you know, ass whooping and and a lecture about scaring the family her mom saw her and saw the wonderment in her in her eyes and never even told her until much later that the family had been looking to uh, you know for her and that she had scared the family and what was happening there she was being seen and her gift made an appearance at that young of an age 
Mm-hmm. And mom recognized the gift. And instead of going with the family's interest and needs, she ran with the with the young young lady's gift. Excuse me. You okay? Yeah, take a drink of water or something. I wanted, yeah, I, I don't know what happened here. I wanted to ask... Uh, it's Monday. Yeah, it's Monday. That's what happened. Yeah, even even in Los Angeles. Uh, a lot of people might be thinking... You know, before, I wanted to ask you about gifts, too, but uh, I'm bringing them out using these ancient techniques, but many people might be thinking that this is sort of just... And we have a lot of people stuck in traffic right now at, uh, you know, <laughs> Russia over here. That's Maybe an rolling the rise. in and of itself. Yeah, sort of... Yeah, yeah sort of touchy-feely new age stuff and i know you get that sometimes from mentors or corporate leaders or whatever um how do you respond to that well all i can say is we go with what works and um <clears throat> the concepts or how we're explaining them may be touch may sound touchy-feely um are you okay tony we can tell some more we can Rattle yeah, on I'll some more while I clear my throat. I, I okay. Don't know, I'll, I'll, well, we're, we'll take our break right now, as a matter of fact, okay? Oh, good. Okay, Thank very you. good. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON, 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Our guest this evening, all the way from Los Angeles, Tony LeRae, Youth Mentoring Connection, using ancient techniques to help modern youth. Stick with us. Everything you know is wrong. Hi, I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Paul Eno. Check out our show, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, here on ON 1240 AM on Mondays on our new drive time slot at 6 PM. The paranormal is not what you think it is. You're going to examine the whole thing from a whole new perspective on our show, and we expect that you're going to be very surprised. Do not check your brain at the door. You're going to need it. Be there. And I'm Jocelyn. And we are Girl Scouts from Troop 360. We are hosting an adoption day as part of our Girl Scout Bronze Word Project. Come out to the Woonsocket Harris Public Library on April 22nd from 1.30 to 3.30 to support our event. Meet some of the animals available at the shelter for adoption and join us for an afternoon of fun. Check out our Facebook event page called Paws for Love, a pet adoption day, for updates and information. We hope to see you there. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. Okay, and before we get back to our guest, I wanted to uh, mention several of the charities Ben and I have adopted. Certainly Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, which is one of the uh, the founder is our guest this evening. We'll talk more about it a little bit later on, so stay tuned for that. Uh, also, uh, the, some of the veterans organizations and charities we have adopted. One, of course, USA Cares, usacares.org, wonderful group that helps financially uh, veterans uh, from the United States and their uh, families, especially the veterans of those who, whose lives have been lost, uh, helping their families uh, do, with financial uh, assistance in any way they can. Also, locally here in the southeastern New England, Builders Helping Heroes, a charity of the Rhode Island Builders Association, just built a house, wonderful place. I was privileged to be there when, when the keys were turned over in Burrowville, Rhode Island, right in our listening area, for a Marine Corps veteran who had lost both legs in Afghanistan uh, and had um, uh, just, just starting out in life. And uh, just after they moved into the house in December, uh, I believe the baby was, uh, I think, has been born since now. And talk about perfect timing so their family has been started with the help of many, many people. So check those out, uh, buildershelpingheroes.org and, and usacares.org. Also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy uh, for our uh, 
for Friends to the North who have been with us in the War on Terror. Uh, they uh, do a lot of advocacy for veterans uh, in Canada, legal uh, work and things of that kind. Uh, our friend Mike Blaze in Ontario, uh, wonderful fellow who started that group. So these are all great, uh, great charities to check out. So let's get back to our, our guest, uh, Tony LeRae. And uh, Tony, uh, are you uh, yeah. feeling better? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you that, that we've increased your listenership by at least a few people um, because uh, uh, Someone from my office came running in with a glass of water as soon as you took a break. So <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Plus, uh, <laughs> welcome all our, we have quite a few listeners in California from, uh, from what we hear by email, so uh, that's good. Well, anyway, and, and also, of course, the people, you know. Oh, that's, that's right. <laughs> I, I have found the people in California to be, uh, to be uh, better drivers than some of the ones around here and also very, very nice people. And um, a mutual friend of ours uh, said that, uh, well, it's very difficult to be grouchy when you live in this climate. So that's perhaps one of the explanations. There but you go. Uh, I love yeah. California and its people. <laughs> but any, anyway, and also th- this podcast, we have podcasts of all our shows. They're free, and they're with BehindTheParanormal.com, and this one will be up uh, probably by the end of the day tomorrow. So, Okay, Tony, so um, again, you were going to talk about how you respond to the touchy-feely accusation. Yeah, um, I definitely live in the touchy-feely capital of, of, <laughs> of the country. Yep. Um, and I guess here's the thing. We take what works and we, and we use it. Um, and if it continues to work, we use it and expand on it. Um, what's touchy-feely to me is this whole notion of, um, you know, I, I only look at the positive and, um, I never let a negative thought come into my mind and, and all that crunchy granola stuff that you hear all the time, okay? Um, you know, only look to the light. <clears throat> that is light years away from from our philosophy and our work. Our work is more inspired by Jung's admonition that man does not reach enlightenment by imagining figures of light, but by facing the darkness. Wow, yeah. So when we talk about initiation, what, the reason we don't call our initiatory retreat on the mountain a retreat anymore is because we're going into the dark places. <clears throat> Kids are coming up, and, and after a little while, they're going, hey, I thought I left the city to get away from this. And so, you know, we have to, to you know, let them know that to heal from it. You know, um, the, the famous Persian mystic Rumi said, the cure for the pain is in the pain. So we're not about <clears throat> singing kumbaya and, you know, everything is, is great. We think you, you, you should go there. You need to give yourself a break. So what you do is you cycle between the dark places of the soul and then the, the light, the high places of spirit. Um, but you go down into it, and we call it like it is. And if, if there's some, because some, the kids that we work with, uh, and we, we attract wounded folks. We attract people who have been abused or who have suffered some serious things, who have been, you know, <clears throat> in gangs or victims of gangs and, you know, things like that. And we, we don't say, oh, you get over it, be happy, uh, you know, write a, a poem about uh, flowers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. um, we say write a poem about the wounds and about how crappy it feels to be in that place. And then let's, let's create a different future for yourself because you're willing to face that and know that that initiation, that difficulty that you face is the seeds to your greatness. Mm. The, what I learned from, from, uh, Michael Mead again to bring him up is that your, your 
your gifts, your innate gifts that you were born with, sit right next to your deepest wounds. Okay. So if you're willing to go down into that place of darkness, you will also find your gifts, your strength, your power, you know, what it is that you were born to bring into the world. This concept of Salbona really is you were born with your own gifts and a unique purpose. And mm -hmm. our mentors are trained, rather than doing what most kids are, are most, most people work with youth on the basis of eight words. If you do this, then you'll get that. It's a behavioral approach, and it's important. It's important they know consequences, but it's not transformational. So we train our staff and our mentors and so on to say, to look at the behavior, especially the negative behaviors, and say, what's the gift that's trying to be seen? And call that out, while at the same time saying those behaviors, if they're harmful to people, you know, that around that that those can't continue but not from the basis of you'll get put in jail if you keep doing that but mm -hmm. from the basis of that's not using your gifts effectively okay. um, if that's touchy-feely then um, it is the most difficult gut-wrenching um, horrific touchy-feely stuff you'll ever do yeah. in your life we go to some really dark places in this work well, th that, that brings up a question that uh, now Ben and I have both had contact with indigenous peoples, though not at the same time. Mine, of course, going back quite a few more years than his. But um, it, my my contact has been mostly positive, uh, Australia and Canada, and uh, you know the Aborigines and the Cree, uh, and yeah. some of the Mohawks as well. Uh, but also in Haiti. Uh, I did not have a good experience. Uh, I was invited to a voodoo ceremony by a priest who happened to take a liking to me, which isn't very common. And uh, anyway, I've talked about that in other shows. But uh, do you ever run into those sorts of less positive traditions in the community? Now, now, a lot of people in a lot of communities in America have traditions and some might say superstitions that go way back and that sort of thing. D does that, I don't know, does, does, does that ever compete with the positive approach you try to take to the traditions? Oh, certainly, yeah. Um, I, w what we don't say is <clears throat> if, it's, if it's tribal or old or indigenous that it's better. Right. We say, what have we forgotten that actually works from those traditions? There was, you know, I mean, there was a rampant patriarchy in many of these indigenous cultures. There's, you know, yeah. there's things that we would never, you know, accept in our culture. So this isn't a matter of saying, we're wrong and we found the right way and we're going to use their way. It's a matter of, of looking at the things that make sense based on practice and experience and starting to understand the needs that the psyche has in developing um, and then applying that to, to the work we're doing now. Um, one of the things that we run into, for example, <clears throat> is we use a lot of... of um, traditional, like, for example, Native American um, rituals. And there is a whole group that um, is um, holds on to the tradition as there's a right way and a wrong way, and if you don't enter from exactly the, the east, and if you don't say these exact words, and so on and so forth, then you're disrespecting the tradition. Um, we go, we actually say, how do we get the, the, the roots of that 
that work and apply them to today's world. And I think respecting the tradition is important, by the way. Mm. But I think it has to be done in a way that applies now. Um, a lot of people try to, to bring practices to to young folk, and because it's about the practice and not the young folk, they miss. Well, it's not it, accessible. You know, th- that makes sense because it seem, seems to me... Now, now, Ben spent some time with the Navajo people in uh, Arizona, so maybe he has a reaction to this, but it seems to me that the traditions have to... You can't just grab them out of the air. They need to spring, to a certain extent, from the land, from... The culture from well, that's if they remember their traditions too. Yeah, that yeah. that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It, it, but it seems, but to make something, take the best of what you find and to apply it to 21st century South Central Los Angeles. I mean, that makes sense to me. I don't know, yeah, Ben. And, what are your thoughts on some of this? Well, you found a lot of youth and despair. Did you? On the oh, reservation? well, yeah. Well, I mean, it was a really depressing place. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably one of the most depressing places I've ever been to. And yet they had a sense of their traditions, from what you said. Well, no. Well, sort of. Well, they were I mean, surprised you knew anything about some of them. Well, yeah, mostly about skinwalkers. But yeah. um, the big thing is, uh, um, the big thing was uh, remembering the traditions, and most of the youth didn't. Yeah, yeah, that. Ben's uh, being the producer, he has to answer the phone, too. And I always forget to give the phone number. I'm sorry, I get involved in the conversation. It's 401-766-1240. Locally, we do take calls, believe it or not, folks. And uh, also from uh, USA or Canada, anywhere, 1-800-449-1240. All right, sorry to interrupt, Tony. But, um, yeah, it, see, it seems as though you really are onto something there. Um, well, let's take a moment now, before we burn up the hour, to talk about Youth Mentoring Connection, where it is, where people can find out more about you, your website, etc. Okay, we are, well, we're based in Southern California. Um, we do have a uh, um, one program, a pilot program that, that we're doing in uh, New Orleans. Um, and our model is being uh, applied in Jamaica and in Peru. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and the Chinese were, were, came over to find out about you, didn't they? Yeah, we had two different visits um, from the Chinese. The, the second one was a delegation of like 38 um, high-level people in the education uh, uh, world in Macau, uh, which is like the Las Vegas of, of China. Yeah. Um, and um, they had uh, they. I said, "How'd you find out about us?" And they said, "We were we we researched the most innovative." Um, mentoring. They, they came over and they spent a few weeks and they spent a couple days with us. Um, and one of the things they wanted to explore was mentoring. And, and they said we were the most innovative one they could find. So, so that was a huge compliment. Um, but as far as our <clears throat> direct work and our office is in um, Los Angeles. Um, and all of our contact information is on our website, which is uh, youthmentoring.org. Um, mm-hmm. And we give that on the air every week. Yes, I appreciate it. And I see on your on your website you've got our banner, which is yes. uh, I'm very grateful for that. Um, we're about 13 and a half years old, and uh, we've matched uh, over 3,000 mentors and mentees in that time. Um, and uh, just to some of our results, I think you mentioned earlier, we have a 96% graduation rate. Um and you know, and then all of the other measurements you do in order to you know track your effectiveness, the self-esteem indicators, and 
likeliness of using, you know, violence to solve problems and things like that, mm-hmm. huge improvement measures in those areas, as well as um, three nascent gangs were stopped, literally, because we like to say because we gave them a better gang to belong to. <laughs> yeah. Because the other thing that we employ in our practice is, is a sense of community, which is missing from so many young people's lives. Oh, my goodness, yes. So if you can take uh, a young person who's struggling and give them a community, you know, it takes a village and all the cliches around that that are true, um, and <clears throat> help them and initiate them, give them some kind of a of an idea of, you know, there's a there's a consciousness to becoming... Uh, a whole person to becoming an adult. Um, surround them with community while you're doing it. Give them a mentor to guide them and then see their gifts. Apply Salbona. Apply the gift-centered approach, we call it. Um, it, it it's amazing what, what can happen. And kids that everybody else has given up on, um, you know, come through our doors. And, and it also helps to have an amazing, you know, group of folks to work with. And our staff and some of our partners are just... Uh, just um, beautiful, loving, compassionate, um, but also tough-skinned um, folks mm-hmm. who, who are whose commitment to this is irrational. Yeah, you know, they're there when when other people would would have run away. Mm-hmm. God bless them. I suppose we should com- completely come clean here and mention the book. Uh, I first encountered Tony when uh, he and his wife, uh, Susan Inouye, approached me. Uh, Susan is, is a business coach, well-known business coach, to assist them with uh, a book about the Salbona business, the, the technique and the, and the mentoring model. And uh, I am really into that. Now, it's, 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 a, it's, a long, it's a long book and it's a long process, and we're taking it step by step, but uh, we will be talking about it on the air when it is ready. So I, it's not as if Tony is unknown to me, okay, and I'm proud to know him. So I hope I'll get over there sometime and, uh, and uh, see uh, YMC uh, on, the, on the hoof there, so to speak. So in, um, I, I have to echo many of the things you've said about some of these young people, Tony. Uh, in the course of my work, uh, I have been to a number of high schools, including the local high school here, uh, Woonsocket High School. Woonsocket is a, a, an old and large mill town uh, in, in sort of right in the middle of Providence, Boston, and Worcester, Massachusetts. And it's um, the, the high school does not have necessarily the best reputation, but I have met some of the most talented, wonderful, intelligent youth there who just need a little bit of a push you know, who just, you know, and and they, uh, it's it's amazing some of the young people there, and uh, so I, I really that's why I admire your work so much because I, I've met young people like this who could use a program like yours, and uh, it's it's just great what you're doing. Let me let me ask you this, Tony. Uh, have you encountered any pushback from the community in the sense of uh, perhaps well some of the more negative? forces i suppose we've talked about or uh groups whose traditions might be you know as, as archetypal as they might be might might feel that they're in conflict with what you're doing has that ever occurred i mean what what issues do you have in that regard if any yeah um it's in terms of of pushback um it's more a lack of 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 understanding or a lack of ability to 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 get what we're doing and what needs to be done to get through to to our youth. We don't have people going, you know, stop those 
you know, uh, heathens at YMC from <laughs> practicing these, you know, cultish practices. Mm. Um, we do, however, we understand how unique some of our approaches are, and so we kind of reel people in. Um, but one of the things that's really been fascinating, it's almost the opposite of the pushback, is we actually do a lot of our mentoring in corporations. And because of where we're at, it's kind of sexy. We have uh, Warner Brothers Studios and Paramount Pictures and Beats Music and HBO is our first one. We've been there for years and wow. years. And, um, you know, we were we were at Sony and Rhino Entertainment and uh, Viacom Networks, which is MTV and, you know, uh, Comedy Central and all those. They're, they're all of those corporations, and these are their corporate offices, um, that we bust the kids there every other week to be mentored. Um, and you would think that these, and we have to be careful how we, how we kind of introduce our practices to them. Um, but you would think in, in corporate America, it would be really difficult to have these kind of conversations. Um, but what we're finding is that the employees especially are finding these conversations, um, very therapeutic for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and our, in fact, our mentors almost 201 will tell you at the end of the year, I got more out of it than the kid did. I don't. I actually don't think that's true. I just, but but <laughs> yeah. I do think they get a lot out of it, <clears throat> and um, I think the human being. And this is part of you know. You mentioned uh, the book, which really is Susan. Susan wrote the book. I kind of you know helped. Well, um, you're you're uh, you're a major uh, a major figure in the book, and it's yeah, it's a, yeah. it's about uh, what Susan does, which is bringing this to corporate America. Now you would you wouldn't think that would be. Uh, Easy to do, but she's kind of got it down, I think, in the sense of in learning it all from you. So, oh, she's uh, going all over the place, leading uh, Salbona leadership forums mm -hmm. in in corporations. And what she has discovered, and what she says in the book, is humans need this. It's not just gangbangers. It's not just kids from the inner city, and it's not just millennials who this this approach, by the way, is exceptionally appealing to millennials compared right. to the old command and control style. Um, and she discovered that all humans, they want their gifts to be seen. Mm -hmm. They want to just have the conversation that says there are gifts. Um, and once you take that step, then introducing some of these, these things, I think most of these indigenous practices at some level, if not directly, understand this whole idea of the gifts born into individuals. Um, so, for example... We did a series of program sessions at our corporations where we got everybody outside, um, like in the middle of a lot at Warner Brothers. It's really cool, you know, um, and found a piece of ground, and we constructed a Native American medicine wheel and did a ceremony with our mentors and mentees. Um, so we're doing this right in the middle of, you know, the, the, the corporate environment. Oh, wow, yeah. And people are really digging it. Well, what is your own background with this? I mean, did you live with shamans in Australia? Or did you, you know, I mean, did you, uh, you know, whatever? Study under did, gurus in India. Yeah, did you do know. the uh, DMT thing in uh, Peru or what? Uh, none of the above. <laughs> I, was a, I was a suburban, middle-class white boy. <laughs> um, uh -huh. And uh, I was a business owner, uh, mainly, you know, uh, management systems and, and uh, <clears throat> management training and, and marketing systems, rather, uh, was invited to volunteer 
at a an entrepreneur uh, a program at a local inner city high school and found myself a fish out of water. Didn't know even how to get on the campus. I'd never seen a locked campus before. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so it, this was all you know, very foreign to me. Um, but I came in and I found I found my purpose. It, it found me actually, and eventually decided I, I had to sell my business and dedicate my life to this. And um, then, out of desperation, the desperation of not knowing how to make the kind of difference I really wanted to make, I I had to pay attention and I had to look. And I got lucky enough to stumble on some brilliant folks who had some ideas. Um, and I think my contribution is I took these ideas and I, and I figured out how to apply them. Um, so <clears throat> literally with hundreds and hundreds of young people in the inner city. Um, and then one thing led to another, and I'm just a voracious reader and, and you know, uh, a student of human nature, and I watch and I follow and I, you know, listen and and you know and and I I'm almost 24/7 on this work. Mm-hmm. So I'm with the kids after a deep session trying to figure out what really you know worked for them and what struck them and I'm always watching and so my education has been, you know, from the from the practical side of <clears throat> trying these things that other people had figured out and saying how do I make them work in our environment and then shifting when you know a lot of mistakes, you know. Yeah. No, <laughs> a lot I don't of like that. Yeah. So, so, so where, where do you do you have a question, Ben? Oh, well, I, I was just going to uh, ask a more broad question, which is, what's the uh, what, what's the future of this project? That's just what I was going to ask. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> Father and son, you think alike. Yeah, um, our psychic powers are up to snuff today. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, um, there's there's several components of the vision. Um, so to expand what we're doing, of course, um, and to be you know all over the country and all over the world, for that matter, which is already starting. Um, <clears throat> but then what we've discovered is kind of like the way that I came across the, the initiation is, is, you know, out of the need that culture was providing by what they were taking away from our youth, um, we've discovered another need. Um, in inner-city Los Angeles, um, there used to be teen centers that, that were born out of the riots and things that – said, you know, that took over an old um, grocery store that Vaughn's Market, I think, that was, you know, burnt out and abandoned and created a teen center. And then another teen center propped up and so on. And then over the years now since then, they have, those places have evolved into what they now call youth centers. And you're lucky to find a handful of teens in any of them. Hmm. they're wonderful places, and they're needed, and they're doing a good service. And part of this is just a resource issue. Our culture does not put our resources into our youth the way we should. Um, but what the, the outcome of this is is there's no place for the teen, the troubled teen especially, to go. Um, so the streets will take them. Mm-hmm. So right now we're operating, we call it a, a, a virtual teen center. So we do um, <clears throat> surfing and snowboarding programs and we have um, a, a monthly um, deep conversation we call echo where we gather everybody and we go ice skating in the and during December and we do we just have different things to try to engage teenagers um, 
but we need a location. So the next version of the of, of the vision is a physical campus, um, not school campus, but uh, where we and other folks who know how to work with teens the way that we do can co-locate and invite um, the youth, the, the young people in, you know, 12 to, to 20-something um, to come and hang out. So a drop-in center with um, athletic facilities and programs and college and career prep and computers and just places to hang out, you know, and um, <clears throat> place to do their poetry. We have a great partner called Street Poets in this work, and they're, they're helping us envision that, and they're part of that. So that's our next one. And then after that, we want to do a, uh, a wilderness center that young people who have been in deep trouble can go to and catch up. So oh. a place where they can stay for a year, two years even, and catch up on their education and, and you know, help heal. Because uh, when, when they go to prison, that doesn't heal them. No. It, it, there's, there's no such thing as rehabilitation anymore. Um, so, so we got a lot of dreams. But Urban Oasis is what we call the, the community youth or teen center that we want to create. Um, that's, that's the next vision. Okay. That's the next step. Tony, it sounds great. It sounds like there's a bright future for YMC. Again, Youth Mentoring Connection, folks. Uh, check it out. Tony, uh, we're just about out of time, but thank you. It's been a very interesting conversation, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again. All right. Well, thanks for having me. It's been um, it's been really great. I well, yeah, that's it. I'll be in touch off the air because I have some more questions I want to ask you in private. But okay. very good. <laughs> I'll thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Man. Okay. Bye. bye. Very good. Tony Loray, everybody from Los Angeles Youth Mentoring Connection. Ben, take it away. Alrighty. So on Saturday, April 26th, my dad and I will uh, be speaking about poltergeists and my dad's experience with them. And this will be at the New England Parafest at the Crown Plaza in Nashua, New Hampshire. Just can't seem to get away from New Hampshire. Uh, there will always... Wrong with New Hampshire. No, I like New Hampshire. And uh, New Hampshire, it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's Nashua, New Hampshire. And there will also be other great speakers with us there. Uh, on several paranormal subjects, including cryptozoology uh, legend Lauren Coleman and uh, paranormal researcher Tom D'Agostino, guest on our show numerous times. And we will raffle off two tickets to this event on our April 7th show, and that's a $90 value right there that is uh, to enter. Just email your name and phone number to Paul at Behind the Paranormal or send the, them via snail mail to Behind the Paranormal, care of WOON 1240 Radio 985 Park Avenue, Winsocket, Rhode Island, 028. Nine five. Also, there are no accommodations. Yes, so we should probably stress that. Oh no, the contest, which will be next week's show, as a matter of fact, right. uh, just involves the tickets, not accommodations or right. So no accommodations. You will just get tickets. So find out more about this event at EssexCountyGhostProject.org. You can visit our show website BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 550 free podcasts of all our past shows from both WOON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with some special shows and podcasts. Also check out our site at www.NewEnglandGhosts.com, where there are case studies and photos, along with articles by my dad. And you can find my books on Barnes & Noble Nook e-reader, Amazon Kindle, Amazon.com, etc., etc. But if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you. You'll help keep uh, all those podcasts free. Also on our sites, you'll find direct links to these charities that Ben and I have mentioned, and check them out as well. Alrighty, so next Monday, April 7th, since we're running out of time, we will have Richard Bach, author of Jonathan Livingston's Seagull, a man with 60 million books 
in print. And so you can send your questions to Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com, or you can just call in. We leave you this evening with a thought from American philosopher and naturalist Henry David Thoreau. It's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.